Hello all you dedicated tea breakers and welcome to Project Studio Tea Break. I am Mike Senior and I am here with ukulelist to the stars, John Whitten. <laughs> For our 12th episode. Our 12th episode. We've almost packed a whole year full of nonsense. (laughs) Which I believe, according to an ancient Mayan calendar, means that the world is about to end. (laughs) But the prophecy makes it clear this is not a bad thing. You know, once you've had 12 um, Project Studio tea breaks, it's probably about time to wrap up this planet and try with a new one. (laughs) Yeah, they can sense we're running out of material. (laughs) They can sense it even thousands of years ago. (laughs) Mike, I think we were running out of material thousands of years ago. I think that's been running on, running on empty since then. And have you earned your tea break? I have absolutely earned my tea break. Oh, I'm delighted to hear it. I'm sure I have done various music-related things. Mm, mm. All I can think about at the moment is last night spending two and a half hours lugging two large tables across the city of Berlin. <laughs> On my lonesome, on my Todd. Oh, wow. It was no fun at all. So someone turned the tables on you. Oh, God. <laughs> See, I wish I'd had you there. I know you wouldn't have helped with the tables, but that sort of light-hearted punnery. Would have made it go past even slower. <laughs> Let me drag out this happy memory even longer. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're needed for a, for a theatre show. We found these perfect tables. They were only available that evening. Mm. I was the only one available to go and get them. According to my collaborators. Um, <laughs> they were just doing their hair. <laughs> there we go, there we go. They had to dry their toenails or something. Yeah, yeah. Used my, my Boy Scouts knowledge and rigged them together with various tight and sturdy knots and then went to move them and realised that they were about ten times too heavy to carry. So I was dragging them along the road like some medieval peasant. Um, these are metal tables. Oh, right. So, okay, here's the acoustic angle. When you have... I would guess about 60 kilo of table dragging across the cobbled streets of Kreuzberg to start with. Oh, dear. Gosh, that's a noise. Yeah. Because what you've really got is four posts sending the vibrations up to this huge resonating surface. (laughs) Exactly, Uh, yeah. You couldn't design it better to make a racket, really. (laughs) Exactly. Kind of like a plate reverb crossed with a wobble board. Because they were like tied together, did they then like kind of rattle as well as resonating? Goodness me, did they? So basically you had the snares on as well. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I had. On your table. It sounded like uh, a 1,000-person samba band, but from (laughs) half a mile away. So you lose all the rhythm and you just get this kind of noise coming out, this percussive noise. It's like a portable music. Music message drum hall. That's exactly what it is. There we yeah. go. It's a Godspeed You Black Emperor breakdown, but without any of the <laughs> restraint. That's not a word I've ever used with them before. Anyhow. And I imagine your vocals probably were doing a pretty good gargling nails impression as well at the time. <laughs> Which actually brings me to some kind advice from a patron. Oh. Now, you know we were talking about my struggling with um, navigating like the complicated subgenres of modern metal, right? <laughs> so Pat, our patron, has alerted me to a simple rule of thumb. Oh, yeah. For distinguishing between death metal and black metal. Okay. Okay, I'm listening. All you need to ask is, does the singer sound like Cookie Monster or Donald Duck? <laughs> Apparently, if it's Cookie Monster, it's death metal. If it's Donald Duck, it's black metal. Right. And that helps. Now, I take it that this is one of those questions that you should ask in your own head. (laughs) I can't imagine my credibility surviving very long (laughs) if I were to ask this to the people I was listening with. Yeah. So what I need now, Mike, is a mnemonic device to remember that Cookie Monster is death and Donald Duck is black. Wow, it's tricky. Well, I mean, Donald Duck was Duckula, wasn't he? Count Duckula, absolutely in the black cloak. But then I suppose he's undead, so that's tricky, isn't it? <laughs> or maybe that's it, he's undead. That's the thing, he's not death. 
There we go, that'll work. So all you need to do is, is remember a famous character played by Donald Duck and then look at his living status. Mm-hmm. We could also go cookies, diabetes, death. <laughs> yeah, death by cookies. There you go, death by cookies. Yeah. Or there's two types. There's black and blue. Oh, yeah. So if it's blue, it's not black. And if it's... No, I can see that. I can see that. Apparently, um, I think it's another Sesame Street character called Elmo. Yeah, the, the little red one. Because apparently he's supposed to be, like, Wait, heavy. Surely not, because Elmo, Elmo talks like this. He's kind of Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Maybe that's, like, classic metal. It's the Igri. It's the Igri <laughs> Okay, there we go. <laughs> Which seamlessly links to another patron, Tom. Aww. He also sent me a link to a snippet of an Ingvy Malmsteen interview that just brightened my day. And I'll quote you the bit. It goes, um... <clears throat> People kept on telling me to slow down. Hey, slow down. Remember, less is more. And I always said, how can that be? How can less be more? It's impossible. More is more. It's like guaranteed insight free zone. Wow. I mean, I, I admire his pluck. And the thing about it is that it was an interview with him not being young. Looking his age, yeah. It's like, okay, he's not twigged yet. <laughs> He's found a working system. Mm, mm. There's no no need to move away from it. But before we get too deep, as we do every month, into Ingvi Melmstein, mm. I want to ask, have you earned this tea break this month, Mike? Oh, God, have I earned this tea break? Well, for a start... <laughs> I went out to Berlin to meet you. That's true. I, I hope that you're not putting that down as one of the unbearable chores that you've endured. <laughs> no, that was definitely the tea break itself. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, nice. We've had two tea breaks, really, after a fashion. We did actually have tea and some cake, though. It was, it was very lovely. The reason I was up there was because I was doing a recording session with a prospective client mm-hmm. that was potentially going to lead to further things. And I would say it was the most stressful recording situation I found myself in for more than 20 years. Oh, Oh my god. It was an absolute nightmare. Oh my god. So much so that I'm keeping the details to myself because I want to roll it out for you in full glorious detail in Facepalm next month. Mike, you have no idea how much that's pulling at me because like typically Mike and I talk outside the podcast but he has refused <laughs> to give me a single crumb <laughs> of information about this session before we record it next month. And I am literally bursting yep. with curiosity. He's crushing that digestive between his fingers in <laughs> frustration. So yes, if you are impossibly curious, then me too. You're in good company. It also appears that Sound on Sound, at least some of them, are listening to the podcast now. Well, hey. I had an email from a friend of mine called Chris Korf, who works in the Sound on Sound office, who is actually the face of Sound on Sound's March issue. Mm-hmm. There he is. He's, he's kind of blurred in the background of the Aston Stealth microphone review. <laughs> He's a cover star. Doing a sort of slack-jawed, ooey-ary sort of face. He is. But yeah, he was responding to our all-star butt meme fest. Oh, yeah. And he just queued me up to another nice little one. It's, it's, it's really small scale, but it's um versions of songs, but with the Metallica and Angus snare sound. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know there was a big hoo-ha amongst Metallica fans about mm-hmm. St. Anger not sounding like a Metallica record should And they yeah, yeah. just think it was sounded horrible And some of them like re-recorded the whole thing in its entirety Really? I hadn't this heard that This kind of squang <laughs> snare sound And various people have done versions obviously of different Metallica songs Enter Sandman is definitely worth catching out Because you know it's coming And it takes ages <laughs> before the first snare comes Then there's this goofy little graphic of Lars Ulrich Kind of pulling a weird face <laughs> <laughs> and it just alternates between that and its reflection every time there's a snare hit. That's amazing. It so shouldn't get any funnier, and yet it keeps getting funnier <laughs> every time. 
Yeah, you are a sophisticated adult with a complex comedic taste. You like Stuart <laughs> Lee, for goodness sake. But but there's something about this which just works. Oh, goodness me. But his favourite was, uh, was a version of Earth, Wind and Fire September, which has the slang and snare on it, which is also exceptionally good. How can you do this to me when you know that I can't just open YouTube? Wait. I'm wearing headphones. I could totally open YouTube. Okay, you, mm. you carry the podcast for the next three <laughs> minutes and I'm going to go go giggle to this. And I, I have another audio treat for you as well. Yet another one. Goodness me. Yeah, well, you know I've been doing this mix competition and you suggested, how about you take two beats of each mix and stitch them together into a, like a combination mix, a Frankenstein mix. You didn't actually do it, did you? Well, I tried it. But every two beats, it didn't really have the effect you think it was of showing the comparisons and showing how weird the contrasts were mm. because you didn't have time to get used to it after two beats. Right. But I did do it with like two bars. Okay. Of 21 different mixes. Oh my God, <laughs> Mike. I would love to hear that. Where, where can I get on that? I'll upload that to the feed too. Okay. It's really worth listening to. It's great. Amazing. The Franken mix. The Franken mix. <laughs> and in our, in our rhyming segment where we were talking about cliched rhymes. Oh, absolutely. These overused lyrical devices. I was trying to remember which song it was that was rhyming loads of words that ended Asian. Okay. And it seems like all roads lead back to Stevie Wonder. Because (laughs) it's Stevie Wonder's pastime paradise. And let me read you the list. Here we go. Okay, hear me up. Dissipation, relation, consolation, segregation, dispensation, isolation, exploitation, (laughs) mutilation, mutation, miscreation, confirmation, proclamation, (laughs) integration, verification, revelation, acclamation, salvation, vibration, stimulation. Wow. (laughs) Wow, Mr. Wonder. So that's the whole list. Now, I know what you're thinking. You do, always. He missed out circumnavigation, transmogrification, (laughs) and tintinabulation. What an amateur. I was thinking titillation, personally, which I always think would have been a worthy addition. Well, I I felt this was an occasion that was worth um, dusting off my Walker's Rhyming Dictionary for. (laughs) And so I looked into it and worked out how many words rhyme a nation. And there are actually about 1,200. 1,200 words. Despite Walker's Rhyming Dictionary rather coyly including no entries between exacerbation and perturbation. Uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> no, then, nothing at all there. There's nothing between those two words. I can't think of one. No. Us master breakers. No, us master no. breakers can't think of a thing. <laughs> nothing I can think of. Are there actually about 1,200? It seems so. I mean, I, didn't, I, I know I'm pretty anal, but I'm not quite anal enough to count them individually, <laughs> but I did a kind of a guesstimate. So I'm just thinking, if one were to read these at about... One per second. Mm. That's 60 per minute. Yeah. 1,200 every 20 minutes. (laughs) So we might be able to get through them all in 20 minutes. Or probably about 90 seconds if you're Eminem. (laughs) (laughs) All I'd recommend is that we we find a kind of looping pastime paradise backing. Mm. And as, uh, you know, a special for patrons to send to people they really dislike. We just go through the lot. (laughs) (laughs) And it's particularly good in this song because he doesn't really include anything but the words he's rhyming. I was going to say, what's the lyrical context? Like, relation has race before it, so it's race relations. Okay. But otherwise, all those words are just stated. Just the words? Yeah. I mean, when you're Stevie Wonder, you do what you like, don't you? Yeah. So, freshly landed on the Project Studio tea break news desk, ready for it to be shaken down. 
That's my, my news thing. We have already had a few brushes with MIDI controllers on this podcast. They have been mentioned, and they, they've rarely left the news desk in such a good shape as they arrived. <laughs> well, you'll recall the Audio Silvio, for example. Could never forget. Or the Audio World Synthwatch that we heaped praise on in a previous <laughs> patron extra. Oh, unmitigated <laughs> praise. Well, you'll be delighted to know that another contender has just stepped into the arena. Oh, yes. It's a company called Voclia Music. Voclia Music. Now, I think already, frankly, they've missed a trick. Because if you're going to use the word cochlea <laughs> in a product <laughs> title, surely you should take a leaf out of Reaper's book and use the bit, not the ochlea bit. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to say that. kind of depends the audience you're trying to appeal to. Now, you and I, yes, put in the title and we're all over it and it will get very favourable shout outs on this podcast. Yeah, it's possible yeah. there are other people though who won't smile quite so fondly on it. Well, anyway, these people have been in their underground bunker researching vocal recognition technology for the last few years. Right. And they have just announced their first product, which is called the Doubler Studio Kit. Okay. This is a standalone software application for Mac or PC, and it generates MIDI controller data in response to an audio mic signal. Okay. So far, so uncontroversial. It learns your voice character. It uses machine learning, which is always is a red flag for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. It, uses, <laughs> it learns your voice character. So it can detect whether you're beatboxing or whether you're creating a pitched noise like singing or humming or playing an instrument indeed. Okay, cool. Now, if it detects the beatboxing sounds, it triggers one-shot samples in response to those sounds. (laughs) So if you make a kind of a beatbox kick sound, you can get it to trigger a real kick sample instead. That's pretty cool. You can get it to learn other sounds as well. You can get it to learn, you know, clicking your fingers or clapping your hands or or hitting your teacup or whatever it is you (laughs) you want to use. Now, if it detects a pitched signal, so you're singing, you're humming, or you're playing a monophonic instrument, Mm. it then sends notes to a synth patch. It sends MIDI pitch, pitch bend, velocity information, as you'd expect for that. That's pretty cool. But it doesn't just do that. It also tracks the formants in your voice. (gasps) Yay! I was really hoping we were going to get here. For the R, E, U, and M sounds, you can see that characteristic in the vocal signal. And each of those then can generate assignable MIDI controllers. Oh my god, the grin on my face right now. (laughs) And in addition, you can do both at the same time. No. So you can be singing a bass line and then beatbox the kick hits and the snare hits around the bass line and sing melodies and stuff around it. And it generates the MIDI from that. Oh my god, Mike, I hope this works. It sounds so cool. It sounds so cool. And you can do that, of course, while you're playing a keyboard or playing a guitar or whatever, if you want. Mm -hmm. And it's low latency, so it's like 10, 12 milliseconds, so you can use it real time. That sounds brilliant. Because it's a bit of software that just squirts out MIDI in response to an audio signal, <laughs> it's compatible with any door software you want to use. Please never say squirts out MIDI again. I, I, I'm not. <laughs> it's too early in the morning to be hearing that collection of words from anyone. <laughs> but I, I appreciate your meaning. And, and, and that MIDI, that pre-squirted MIDI, oh, is, God. <laughs> that MIDI can be used, of course, for anything you want. Mm. So you don't have to send those control signals to a synth. You can send it to effects boxes you could send it to whatever you want you could send your notes to trigger lighting events if you want if you've got a midi light controller yeah you know it's just midi yeah, yeah. do whatever you like with it now the microphone that they use is a proprietary microphone that has a usb socket in it okay that's part of the bundle you get the software and you get this mic 
Now, I share your reservations about that because it sounds like a hardware dongle by a different name. I mean, that was where I was going. Yeah. It just feels to me like really that shouldn't be necessary. Yeah. Um, they could recommend a list of microphones that you can use so you didn't have to buy their mic. But I can see why they're doing it. From a commercial perspective, having a hardware dongle means that you can't just use cracked software. Right, okay, yeah, no, that is fair. But it also does mean that you can just work with their mic and a laptop and headphones. And you've got everything. And make music straight away. That's pretty great. So that does have an advantage. There's also the logo that you've seen. <laughs> okay, so Mike showed me this logo before the show and, and he asked me what it looked like and I, I said things like sine wave, I said microphone, <laughs> I said um, frothy cappuccino. You said at a stretch it might look like... I, okay, okay, and, and Mike was pushing me and I know when Mike's pushing me, you know... Don't put this all on he's me. He's trying to get... Filthy. It's not in my nature, but he is. So I said it a stretch. If I wanted it to, could look like boobs. I could yeah. see this yeah. being boobs. I'm like, well, what did I mean? I spoke for too long. What, what did you offer as what you thought this logo looked like? Now, I d- I word just... for word, please, or I will make you restart. I completely. I can't get the image out of my head, but it so looks <laughs> like a gynecologist's eye view of a patient in stirrups. And I apologise in advance to all of the team breakers who now will not be able to get that image out of their head. I think we've discovered an excellent new Freudian psychoanalytical technique is that you just have to look at this logo and say what you see. It totally says more about me than it says about the logo. (laughs) Anyway, so, okay, what do you reckon the pricing is? Ah, I thought we might be coming here. My first question is, can you use the mic not with this software? Is it also just a USB mic? They've not said that you can, but I have a feeling you probably could. Okay, well, a nice workable USB microphone. Mm. So maybe 70, 80 pounds for one of those. Plus this software, which if it works, would be incredibly cool. Mm. Um, 250 pounds. Okay. That's what I'm imagining this is going to go for. They're going to launch it at 300 pounds. That's not what I wanted to hear, but it's not completely out of the ordinary. I, there was a bit of me that thought you might be coming in with one and a half grand or something. This is I know, I know. You know. But it feels like it's a proper price, but it's a sensible price. Yeah, yeah. This is well within the realm of reasonability. Well done, guys. That's the first price that I've got on this podcast that hasn't made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> weep. Weep at the audacity. But what I didn't say at the outset oh, yes. is that as with the Audio World Synthwatch. They recently launched a Kickstarter. Oh, good. And um, would you care to guess their funding goal? Uh, if I recall, the Audio World Synthwatch was 76,000 euros was their goal. <laughs> How much did they earn of that again? <laughs> About 1,000 euros. 1,000 euros. Okay. Uh, so what do you reckon the goal of these people, of, of Voclia Music, was? Oh, goodness me. It's a four-person team. Okay. 10 grand. 40 grand. Okay, that's quite a lot of money to try and kickstart. Do you want to take a guess how they're doing? Uh- <laughs> 70 grand. They've already smashed the target. They're on the, onto their stretch goals. Everyone's happy. Well, I only checked this yesterday, but it's currently standing at 110,000. Oh, my God. They've more than doubled it. They hit their target in 46 minutes. I, I love these guys. <laughs> like, I'm so used to becoming like cynical and jaded from this segment, but this is brilliant. It's easy for us to come across as being cynical and jaded and that we would just say that any product was rubbish. But... This is how you make a product that people need that does something cool, that you price it sensibly and you do your marketing properly and people will give you money for it. I mean, I will very probably give these people money for literally this. It sounds great. Well, I mean, now will be the time to do it because the way people are supporting 
is by pre-ordering the product. Right, yeah. And currently, you can get it for under £200. I mean, wow. So if you want it, head off and get it while it's still under £200. Head off and grab it. But basically, about 600 people have pre-ordered it. Yeah, yeah. Some of the audio examples are truly inspirational. You go, oh, oh my God, you can do that with it. (laughs) My only question, though, does it come with a hardware controller that you can wear on your wrist? (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of stuck yeah, well, on those they, these days. I mean, I think they should have had more people with Italian accents in their video. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this is a general truism, isn't it? For listeners who are wondering what we're talking about, this is because we were talking about the Audio World Synthwatch, which was the polar opposite in the success of stakes on Kickstarter. Oh, in every single stake. <laughs> But if you'd like to catch up with that news item, then head over to our patron, because it's one of the patron extras. I think it was in uh, February's Extras. Okay. Did a whole big feature on it. <laughs> it's worth but, it. But, I mean, th- this product, we're both acapella enthusiasts. This is going to set the acapella world on fire. <laughs> Absolutely. All 15 of them. They're going to go nuts for it. Of course. It also has an extra advantage. Oh, yeah? You know how we were saying how guitarists with, with voice boxes, they'd always make those funny mouth motions on stage while playing wah, yeah? Wow, wow. Well, he- keyboard artists now can be doing that <laughs> oh that's, it's going to be a whole new generation of people pulling faces while playing the keyboard actually you don't you could do it playing the guitar too <laughs> the faces we're going to see on stage it's a gift not only for the people who want to use the thing but for the people who are watching them using it <laughs> everything's right live music has to remain visual in order to compete against a recorded music dominated industry and i think these facial expressions mm-hmm. are a large part of that are a huge mm-hmm. part of making that happen and i think the, the audio demonstrations are definitely lifted by the visual <laughs> aspect of them on YouTube. I cannot wait to see that. Check out the product video. It's a masterclass in how to sell a product and how to come up with product and how to hit a market. One more time, what's the name? It's called the Voclia Music Doubler Studio Kit. Okay, great. And one more time, what does the logo look like to you? <laughs> it looks like um, a serene seaside view <laughs> through a porthole. Doctor, honest. <laughs> Which brings us like the gentle arc of a rainbow to this month's face palm, which I have the honour of providing. <laughs> it's the pot of gold at the end. I have two miniature sartorial clothing-related face palms, which I hope can be instructional. You know, can serve as cautionary tales mm. to um, especially any, any younger listeners. Mm-hmm. The first one is about belts and why <laughs> okay. you should always wear belts. And belts are important. And please... <laughs> Please never don't wear belts. Um, This is the job that I learned how to do puppetry in. Why doesn't this surprise me anymore? It should. I should be going, puppetry? I'm a huge, huge puppetry fan. Go on. Uh, We were doing the Bunraku style of puppetry. And this is where three operators operate one humanoid puppet. One takes the head and the right arm. One takes the left arm and the hips. And one takes both feet. Okay. So it's a way to get very very close with your co-workers very quickly because there is not that much space behind one of these puppets. No. They're about two feet high. Oh, right, they're small ones. Because I've seen those big puppets that they do that have loads of people around them, but the actual puppet's <laughs> only about two feet high. Oh, yeah, these are tiny. And then the, the benefit <laughs> is that you get extremely detailed articulation. Right. Um, and the downside is that you smell everything. It's sweaty, <laughs> pressed up against each other work. 
Yeah, they're the kind of people you don't want to take out for curry. Not really. Anyway, that, that's not what the baseball <laughs> is, is strictly about. Um, right. So we'd been rehearsing this one for a few months and we had our first show. And for the first show, we had to wear all black. So I yeah. run home, put on a black T-shirt and my black trousers and come back out ready to do the show. I noticed you didn't mention a belt there. I didn't mention a belt there. Now, let me, let me just <laughs> offer a very brief masterclass in, um, in puppetry. The most important thing is to keep both hands and your focus on the puppet at all times. Once you remove your hand, the puppet just dies. Yes. Clearly dead. And once you remove your focus, then the audience isn't focusing on it anymore. Mm. About 10 minutes into the show, I felt my trousers start to fall down. <laughs> this wasn't an instantaneous tumble to the floor. You know when you just feel the feel the cloth inching its way down your boxers, <laughs> and you wished oh, yeah. that your boxers were slightly grippier. It's the slow motion terror of it. That it is. Now the puppet was on a table level. Yeah. So you have to imagine me bent forward at the waist, straight legged, bent forward doing this, <laughs> and I feel my trousers start to move. <laughs> and I discover over the next fifteen minutes that sort of the only way to recover those lost millimeters is to sort of shimmy is to sort of twerk my ass up and down <laughs> with a very wide-legged stance and that seems to jiggle them up a little bit oh yes the audience isn't meant to be looking at me i am meant to be an invisible facilitator and there you are kind of silently dancing the ymca dance <laughs> In the end, we, we reached the end of the show and no one had seen my boxes, which felt to me like a huge victory, but I have no idea what the quality of the work in between times was. <laughs> well, I mean, certainly that's an achievement over previous television appearances. There we, there we go. It's, oh, goodness me. I have made too many clothing errors in my professional career. <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, which brings me to my second, which was my very first gig in Berlin. Mm. And I'd only been here about a week and a half, and someone I didn't know contacted me on Facebook. My profile picture is, well, was at that time me playing a double bass. Right. And they asked if I would be happy to play that violin at their event. <laughs> and that should have been a red flag. No interest in being snobby, but if the person arranging the music hasn't come across this distinction... Bass fiddle. There's your bass fiddle. I was poor and desperate, so... Why not? Um, so many reasons why not. So many reasons why I not. I mean, that is the beginning of a thousand and one face palms, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Why not? Then there was the nature of this event. This was, I'm not going to give its exact name, but it, the name implied hippie-ish dancing. Okay. You know, some sort of free-form dance workshop. I tell you, alarm bells are going off over here. Right. <laughs> the switchboard is lighting up. You've got warning lights flashing and sirens going. <laughs> I just moved to Germany. Yep. And I thought, why not? And I asked them what kind of music they wanted. They said it would just be me and that they would like me to improvise for four hours. Four hours? Four hours. Wow. Gosh, I thought. First of all, I got them to change the instrument to the dulcimer because that's more easy. Right. I adore this instrument. I think it is one of the finest instrument families in the world. I don't listen to it for four hours out of choice. <laughs> <laughs> If I practice for a solid four hours without a break, it's because I'm scared about an upcoming gig. Yeah. There's nothing pleasant about going that long. But they wanted four hours. I asked what kind of music. They said improvised. I asked whether there would be breaks. They seemed confused. Okay. Turn up, play for four hours. Yeah. So I did, like a naive little lamb. I turned up, I dressed nice. <laughs> and I got to this school gymnasium. Oh, right. And I guess things hadn't started yet because um, all the lights were off. So I thought, fine, uh, where do I go set up? And he sent me to a corner and they didn't turn the lights on. And I got all unpacked and, and tuned up and ready. 
people started coming in and they still didn't turn the lights on. You know, these okay. funny Germanic traditions. <laughs> so I started playing and people started funny hippie dancing. Yeah. Then the clothes started coming off. Oh, oh, wow. So once again, first is how I should wear appropriate trousers. My second face palm is about how other people should wear appropriate trousers. Or at least trousers. So this is a... <laughs> A room full of sweaty, improvising, dancey hippies. Have you ever seen Eyes Wide Shut, Mike? I have, actually, yes. Okay, so you know when the organist is taken to play the orgy and he's put in a blindfold? Yeah. And I always thought that was a bit of like a, a power player, them taking control of him. Now I think it's just good manners. Yeah, it was It was just courtesy. I would have appreciated some sort of blinkers, yeah. some sort of blindfold situation, mm. but nothing of the sort was provided for me. <laughs> As I played my first orgy, um, I have I have not soundtracked an orgy before. I have often wondered since then what they told the school that they wanted the gymnasium for. Well, it was for a free form hippie dance event. Obviously, <laughs> they told them the same crock of shit that they told you. Oh wow! So it was a bit weird all around. It was one of the weirder gigs I've played, and it and it did take four hours. I mean, that's a hell of a strong start to a professional career <laughs> in a new country. <laughs> I haven't returned to that particular gig, so <laughs> I took like fifty euros or whatever it was, and felt like it was very dirty money. Oh dear! Tell me, is the culture of FKK big in your part of Germany? Uh, so what's that? Oh, so it's this non-sexualized nudity. Nudist beaches, basically. A beach. Parks, yoga classes, hiking groups, pottery courses. No, you see, I think I have the answer to this, and it's called Berlin. <laughs> Basically, we live supposedly geographically in the same country, mm, but you mm. actually live in a little mini country called Berlin. It's kind of like it's kind of like the anti-Vatican. What? That's so true. The, the Vatican. <laughs> there's the rest of Germany and then there's the anti-Vatican. I could not have put it better myself. To be fair, one of our local uh, lakes does have a nudist area. Okay. But beyond that, no, no, it's not been a huge thing. But I mean, they're well into their saunas and things, so I, I don't know. It makes me slightly more concerned about the school discos now, though. <laughs> I mean, good, oh, not to get graphic, but the cleanup. Whoever they were paying for that wasn't being paid enough. Yeah. Also, who finds that a romantic atmosphere? I mean, at least I'll have a red flag, though. If I hear dulcimer <laughs> music coming out, I'll know. You'll know what's up. It's either that or double bass. One of the two. They're, they're, they're pretty similar around. In our Q&A segment this month, we have a question from listener Dave Shilton. Hey, Dave. Who brings up a topic that is close to my heart. His question is... As a Project Studio freelancer, I sometimes have tremendous difficulties motivating myself to get on with my work. <laughs> How do you guys manage to get up off your asses and actually get nothing done? I can't relate to this question. I don't know about you, Mike. I, I just, <laughs> I work hard all the time, despite having no one or nothing to kind of motivate me or call me out if I spend the day watching Netflix. You see, I think this is a real danger when people see people who are publicly doing stuff and they always see the kind of carefully glossed version. You know, like mm. they see the article that I ended up printing or they see the, the video that I ended up editing. <laughs> and there's so much of the freelance lifestyle that is 
not like that. It's like mm. getting up and going, oh, I just can't face editing that voiceover. <laughs> or, you know. Yeah. In fact, funnily enough, the last couple of weeks, I've had a lethargic period. I have them from time to time where I just can't motivate myself to do anything that's worthwhile. Mm. I mean, it's, I've managed to kind of distract myself by arranging stuff and by, you know, watching YouTube videos. <laughs> it's yes. like, oh, Goodness God. me. I mean, my, my flat will get very tidy <laughs> because that's the way of things. It reminds me of one of my favourite Douglas Adams quotes. Oh, what's that? When he began to get stressed about deadlines, yeah. he'd be thinking about what he was supposed to be writing and he felt he did his best thinking in the bath, so he'd find himself taking longer and longer <laughs> baths. <laughs> and his quote was, no one could ever criticise my cleanliness in a crisis. <laughs> Which always comes to mind when I'm like doing the washing up rather than getting on and doing something I should be doing. Deep into procrastination. Yeah, so no one could criticise your tidiness in a crisis. Absolutely not. If I'm working well, then I will live in an absolute pigsty. <laughs> When I just don't want to do that stuff, then goodness me, it's glistening surfaces as far as the eye can see. I mean, do you have any kind of tactics? Yeah, with the proviso that this is advice that I don't follow often enough. Mm. That this is not the clever way that I never have an off day, yeah. but rather the stuff which, you know, does work for me when I get off my ass and do it. I was inspired by a guy called Josh Smith. He's a think tank genius in London, yeah. working for big companies. Then he went freelance. He kept his morning commute. Oh, right. Getting up at the time he would normally start work, jumping on his bike, going three times around the block and coming back home. Okay. Something about getting up and getting going like that, you know, getting dressed as if he were going to get to work, kicked him into that mindset. That's clever. I do like that. I, I have a morning stroll instead because, you know, I'm not enough of a sellout to commute. <laughs> But, you know, just very first thing, having a shower, getting dressed, and, I don't know, going and buying a croissant at a local cafe, gets me in that kind of, I'm doing stuff mode. Yeah. So, commuting to your house is one that I would recommend. Yeah, I kind of get that, actually, because I always get up with the kids early. And usually I end up being in my jammies still. Mm, yes. And so it's when I haven't changed out of my jammies by like three o'clock in the afternoon. I go, yep, yep, <laughs> that was one of those days. That's today. But if yeah, I like yeah. get on and then have a shower straight away and then kind of open the blinds and mm. do things like that, <laughs> see daylight. There you go, there you go. To be honest, I would actually say probably my best tactic for getting stuff done is saying yes to too many things and just running on fear a lot of the time. <laughs> the way I get things done is by being a bit behind schedule most of the time. Completely. So I'm thinking, oh my God, I've got to get this stuff done. Oh, crumbs. And that's the only reason I ever get anything done. And if you don't have that structure of deadlines in place, giving yourself some, there is no worse feeling I've come across as a freelancer mm. than getting myself in a position to work, thinking to myself, okay, I've blocked out this time. Mm. My equipment is ready. Mm -hmm. I am fresh in my brain. And then realising, actually, no one wants me to do anything. Oh, right. I am totally ready and entirely not in demand. Oh, dear, yeah. And that's a horrible feeling. So mm. I have learnt for myself that when I am in that kind of phase where you are hustling for your next project, especially if the night before I can be my own boss mm. and set my schedule for the next day and decide <laughs> the actual jobs I'm going to get done, yeah. rather than just sitting down in front of the computer and being like, oh... God, nothing to do. I would have been absolutely hopeless if I'd gone to school in Germany. Because mm -hmm. in Germany, they have lots of like continuous tests the whole way through the year. And right. it's like constant assessment or whatever else. Honestly, the only way I got through my school career was by realising two weeks before the exam that I had an exam in two weeks. And going, 
and then panicking, more or less. I mean, as, as it got later, that period of panic had to get a bit bigger to cope with the more difficult exams. But basically, that was my technique. That was more or less what you went for. I'll be stuffed here in Germany. <laughs> One of the most difficult times for me was like writing books. Because mm. writing articles, at least you, it's a small project that you can deliver and send off. But with a recording book, it was like a nine-month period of just sitting in front of a screen, tapping keys, pretty much. Just doing that. And I mean, obviously, I did it by setting deadlines that I was missing the whole time. That helped. <laughs> but the second thing was just kind of navigating between little tiny rewards. Mm. Like a friend of my wife's suggested that what she did when she was writing up her PhD was that she'd buy a bag of jelly beans and say, OK, when I've written another hundred words, I'm now <laughs> another jelly bean. <laughs> And honest to goodness, I followed that same tactic. God, yeah. And it was also Angry Birds. Oh, yeah. I said, okay, when I've written another 500 words, I'm allowed to go and play another couple of levels of Angry Birds. (laughs) (laughs) So between Jelly Beans and Angry Birds, that basically got through writing my second book. I think it's hard to go far wrong if we start treating ourselves like a cross between a five-year-old and a dog that needs training. (laughs) You know, however clever you get, that's still the majority of your brain. (laughs) And so if you can set up some sort of candy incentive, then that's more likely to work than any deep philosophical music. Yeah. Are there things you have to, like, get out of your life completely in order to get things done? Oh, absolutely. Puppets, for a start. No puppets in the room. That's vital. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, I'm just generally a very bad multitasker. I can't listen to music and work. No, no, I've never been able to do that. I turn off internet. We don't own a TV, which is fortunate indeed. Ah, right. Now, did, did that come from you or did that come from your partner? I, neither of us have ever owned one. Uh, very early on in my life, after spending, I don't know, kind of a long weekend, sat in front of the telly and then just feeling like a piece of excrement at the end of it and thinking, mm. what have I just done with the last two days of my life? <laughs> I vowed to myself never to own a television and I've deliberately refused to have a telly in the house, much to my children's chagrin. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and computer games, actually, they're also a bit of a Achilles heel in that respect. I have to be really really careful with computer games of any type because I will just plunge into them in the most horrendously self-destructive way. Likewise, they can eat a day very easily. Another big distractor for me is that I will reason that however hard I'm working, I need to eat. You know? Yeah. No one can work without some sort of meal break. Mm. So I will potter through to the kitchen and I will think, given that I'm eating anyway, I may as well make risotto. And if I'm making risotto, you know, it's not risotto without garlic bread. (laughs) Because food is a non-negotiable necessity, I will spend hours... Only the freshest ingredients. <laughs> no, exactly. I'll go down to the market. <laughs> Arguing with the market sellers about where to get the <laughs> freshest radish for my side salad. That's inventive. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, no one can question your nutrition in a crisis. I make some pretty delicious food, but, yeah, it wrecks me. <laughs> That's fabulous. I love this kind of justification because this actually reminds me of something else. Is that I constantly battle with the urge to justify me vegging and watching (laughs) films and looking at YouTube and following internet memes, all that kind of stuff. Because I think to myself, well, you know, I'm in a creative industry. I'm always having to write new things. I've got to stay up to date with current culture. (laughs) I've got to, you know, I've got to recharge the creative batteries. This downtime (laughs) is important for my career. (laughs) And I keep trying to justify it to myself. And it's like... No, I know. I'm going to push back there because my closing point was going to be that you need to broaden your definition of what useful work is as a creative because 
is, mm. you know, lying on your back with your eyes closed and listening through to an album is vital. Food for the soul. You know, maybe more so than what <laughs> looking at memes online. Well, I mean, to some extent, we do trade on them, don't we? We use them in our professional lives. The fact that you can walk into a session that you know what Baby Shark is and can make a joke about it does something for a session. Yeah, that no amount of technical know-how actually technically could. Yeah, it's a pretty tenuous justification, but I suppose what we could at least draw from it is say that, yes, all of us who are freelancers get these times when we're not productive and we feel bad about it and we feel kind of lethargic and we can't get our asses in gear, Mm. but that maybe we shouldn't feel as bad about it as we might inherently do because some of that will be recharging the batteries. Yeah. And a big one to learn for me has been to not get into kind of punishment cycles. If I'm having a a really rubbish day and getting nothing useful done, my standard response is to sit in front of the computer feeling bad about it Mm. till about two in the morning. Yeah. And what I'm trying to get more in the habit of doing is saying, oh, today's kind of an off day. Yeah. I will go out climbing. I will go see a friend. I will go for a drink. I will go to a concert. Okay. Given that in neither of those occasions I get any billable work done. Yeah. Neither of those occasions do I practice my instrument. How much better to get out into nature and walk in a forest. And have done something. Yeah, and have done something and to be able to look back on that day and think, what a good unplanned day off. Wow, that's really Because you're not going to bully yourself into productivity. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, I hate to bring you down, but I often find myself doing the exact opposite. <laughs> Tell me more. It's like if I'm feeling really miserable and I've got a cold and it's rainy outside and it's just dreadful weather, mm. that's when I'll do my tax return. Because <laughs> I'll think to myself, you know, it can't really get any worse. So mm. I might as well do my tax return. So I may as well. <laughs> <laughs> So even though breakfast has passed, there is always time for more jam in our What's Your Jam segment. And of course, with every good bit of jam, you need some support structure, such as... Just listen to that. Well, that's pretty good, actually. I'm very, very pleased with this It's got the right kind of consistency, yeah. This is, in fact, for anyone wanting to play along at home, a Mesopotamian molcajete, which is like a (laughs) pestle and mortar, but made out of very rough stone. Grab that off your mantelpiece, (laughs) all you listeners at home. And uncooked spaghetti. (laughs) Scrape one upon the other. It's not one of the better toast folies we've had, but it's definitely one of the best that I've done. I was genuinely surprised, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm going to think about how I take that comment um, off air. That is the totally heralding us in to this week's jam. And this week's jam was a road of trials. It really was, because I had it sorted two weeks ago. Mm. Someone had played me this awesome, haunting recompose of a Sound of Music song, The Lonely Goat Herd. All right. Just brilliant. All right. And um, about three days ago, I was hanging out with a friend and said, have you heard this great tune? And we had a listen and they agreed. It was great. And they said, who is it? And I said, it's this band called Liebach. Right. Uh, with a CH on the end. And my friend said, oh, Liebach, the Slovenian group, massive Nazis. <laughs> oh, no. And I was oh, furious because no. I really liked this track. <laughs> oh, dear. I thought it was great. Oh, wow. 
I did a lot of research trying to prove to myself that they weren't Nazis. And the best that could be said for them is that they might be just a extremely contrarian, <laughs> avant-garde, obfuscatory group who don't mind people thinking they're Nazis. But honestly, that's still a bit too close to Nazis for me. It's a pretty slim justification, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of David Irving-grade response. Exactly. So... I lost that. The Nazis took took it from me. So, a jam mark two. <laughs> I then thought, you know what? I'm down, but I'm not out. What have I really been listening to? You know, a lot this month. Yeah. And I've been listening a huge amount to a group called the Danish String Quartet. Okay. They are, in fact, the fourth string quartet of this name, established in 2002. Right. They're very cool, Mike. They've done a tiny desk concert. Mm-hmm. They wear gel in their hair. Oh, right, right. The viola player frequently wears T-shirts with funny cartoons on them. Okay. But as you can hear now, it's quite difficult to be funny about, you know, a really good string quartet. Yeah, it's a bit tricky. I was desperately trying to think up a pun about Cinnamon Danish, but I couldn't... Ooh, okay, that could be a comedy vein. When you said they were gel, I was about to say, oh, you mean they're like a glazed Danish. <laughs> that, that would have kind of worked. Yeah, that, that is... It's tricky because you said they were cool, because I thought, well, cinnamon's not really cool. <laughs> I don't know. If you said they were, they're hot, then I'd say, ah, oh, they're, they're a Cinnamon Danish. We... <laughs> How we'd have laughed. How how we could have gone. So we, we got easily like 40% of the way to a joke there, which isn't bad for us. Mm. I think if our listeners expect better than that, they've been listening to a different podcast. <laughs> so so they're great. Go and check out their album Woodwork. They arrange old Scandinavian folk tunes oh, cool. and play very beautifully. So then I, I jumped back on Google to look up some more things about mechanical instruments. I was going to do a thing about mechanical instruments. Mm. And I noticed a Google Doodle. Tell me more. Well, as I'm sure all our listeners have been observing, observed on the, on the 21st of March, this is the birthday of J.S. Bach. Indeed. Famed piano bloke. Yeah. And note scribbler. He was good with wigs. Yeah. Who, it turns out, was such a talentless hack that his music <laughs> can be believably recreated by computer. And this is our second mention this episode of machine learning and AI and mm. algorithms. So apparently the boffins at Google have made a big pot of machine learning deep neural networky nonsense those things uh, giving it a stir <laughs> giving it a stir <laughs> love that and if you go to google.com slash doodles you'll be able to play it and you're allowed to click in any melody yeah and it will harmonize it in the style of a Bach chorale yeah Mike have you, have you come across this well we had not planned it this way but we ended up both seeing the same thing <laughs> and I had a look at it too I looked into a little bit of the like making of and press release stuff as well oh great and its description of itself was an interactive experience encouraging players to compose a two-measure melody of their choice with the press of a button the doodle then uses machine learning machine learning to harmonize the custom melody into Bach's signature musical style <laughs> apparently they took 306 <laughs> Bach compositions to base this routine on with any other composer in the world I would have said gosh how prolific Given that it's Bach, I think to myself, why do they only use those? <laughs> Given that in Riemenschneider, which is all of his chorales that he ever wrote, or a load of them, mm. there are 370 chorales. That's not even all the chorales. <laughs> I know! What were you playing at, Google? Lazy is what I call it. Well, as you know, I am curious of disposition. Mm -hmm. In more ways than one. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> that was a gift to you. It really um, was. And so I deliberately fed it some stuff and recorded the output so we could have a listen to some examples. Oh. I mean, first of all, I thought, well, given that it's supposed to sound like Bach, how about I feed it some Bach? Good idea. See what it comes up with. So uh, here's the first example I came up with. 
okay. I mean, there's some chords that work, but it <laughs> makes absolutely no musical sense at all. <laughs> there's a there's a especially tricky moment halfway in the middle. Fundamentally, if you tell it what key it's in, which I did in all these cases, I mean, they could just literally put almost any chords in <laughs> in the key and probably get away with it. A bit gimmicky, yeah. I can hear that. Maybe I gave it something that was too complicated. Maybe it needs like a chorale. Maybe that's what they trained it on. So I gave it something simpler. I would buy that. That wasn't bad. If that got snuck in in the middle of something, I would not be able to call it out. The thing that makes me kind of raise my eyebrow with it, though, is that it doesn't have any sense of pacing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. A human would, like, establish the key without going to loads of different chords at the start. Yeah. And then put some stuff in towards the end. It doesn't have any idea of what the phrase structure is. It's just putting chords in. No, there's a really decisive cadence, like, three quarters of the way through that phrase, and then kind of nothing at the end. Uh, And also, it's very variable. Like, I said it a different one. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so the accompanist got drunk. <laughs> and was trying to find their way back to the key. That felt like it was being dragged along through the mud. The thing that kills me about it is that they did a little making of video. Mm. There was all lots of pictures of people playing Bach and lots of nice Bach music in the background without actually playing any of the outputs of the algorithm. (laughs) And there were some just great quotes from the developers. Oh, do tell. Bear in mind that you've heard these examples now. Yeah. One of the guys goes, um, the doodle is combining art with technology and allowing people to create things they couldn't create before. (laughs) Just didn't want to create before because they sounded a bit dodgy. Yeah. Or here's another one. The thing that AI can really do for us that a lot of people are really missing is that it's going to amplify what we can already do. (laughs) I hope people feel empowered that if they had the skills that Bach had, what kind of music could I make? (laughs) Okay, this kind of demonstrates that if it had the skills Mark had, it it would be able to do something a bit better than this. (laughs) Yes, surely not this. And the final one was, I hope people play it. They enjoy the experience and maybe feel like they could dream a little more when they think about what they could do in the future. Wow. (laughs) It just underlines to me that, yeah, it's quite interesting that they've managed to get it to see what it sees but it's just so unsophisticated you know it's only two bars there aren't any minor keys allowed there are no other time signatures it's only the treble part they're harmonizing Hmm. there's no sense of what the phrase is the phrase structure is all over the place and it just makes me feel actually quite good about the future of music (laughs) that all that research that someone like google can't turn out a better result than that yeah the thing is that this study and this idea of creating an auto harmonizer has been going on for at least 20 years oh it's forever I know that people were doing it with Bach chorales at least 20 years ago when I was in college Mm. and that it was a project. Also, you have to bear in mind that Google are doing it on their servers, not on your computer. So we're seeing the output of some massive Google supercomputer, (laughs) one would assume. One would figure, yeah. And it can't do a better job than that. Yeah. I don't know. I felt really heartened by that. I thought, wow, it's going to take a while before the robots put us out of business. You you say 20 years. Actually, during the time of Bach, there were these um, 
automatic composition games. Oh, wow. And basically, you rolled a dice. Okay. And on each roll, it would tell you what to write down next. Yeah. And the way this worked is that a composer would write down 36 eight-bar compositions with the same um, harmonic progression. And then you would just pick a bar from kind of each one. Right. But yeah, people have been doing this forever. And, and you could like roll to pick the right hand first and then the left hand. Wow. It, it's been an obsession for a while. I'd quite like to hear some of those. There's an interactive exhibition where you can roll a dice and compose one of these pieces. Wow. Yeah. No, it's just brilliant. I, I don't think Bach actually wrote one, but Handel definitely did, like wrote one of these. Wow. So yeah, the, the idea that music can be made by automatic means is old as the hills. Wow, I didn't realise it had such a long history. Mm, 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 mm. But at any rate, certainly this morning, the Bach predictor was my jam. I gave it lots of weird chromatic nonsense, and it gave me weird chromatic nonsense back. Did you see the little guitar amp button? No. What does that do? Fire up. Press the little guitar amp button. One second. I mean, that was the best thing about it to me. Okay, opening the doodle. Um, okay, oh, there's the guitar amp. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? And then when you play anything, it plays it with, like, odd synth stuff. And the thing about it is that actually it makes so much more sense with that whole kind of a uh, prog rock thing going on because you can put all sorts of weird stuff in it and then the weird chords actually begin to make much more sense with all the synth sounds and everything. That sounds like a lot more fun. I've been thinking about what you were saying about how it just doesn't appreciate the structure of the music. You know, what's the beginning, what's the end? It doesn't establish a key before messing with the key. It, it makes much more sense to me as it can create an extract of chorale. Yeah. I could much more believe that this was some two bars selected at random from a chorale than this was the beginning two bars, or this was a main theme or anything like that. And like with that Beethoven one that I did, mm. it did feel a little bit like that was the bit about two-thirds of the way through some massively weird fugue, mm -hmm. where all of a sudden it's all really knotty and you don't know quite where it's going to go, and then it ends up somewhere much more pleasant sounding. <laughs> yes, there you go. It's just given us that two bars, and it goes, oh, that makes no sense at all if you just <laughs> do it on its own. But then I feel like we're, we're working quite hard to justify it at this stage. I think we are. Too hard. It's a cool idea that doesn't sound great yet. No. Well, that's almost our tea break coming to an end. There's only dregs left in the cup, but there is still time to thank this month's sponsor, Yesteryear Software. Yesteryear Software? Yeah, they are launching their new set of graphical GUI <laughs> skins mm -hmm. that are designed to make the stock DAW plugins that you have built into your software look like third-party analog model <laughs> processors. Okay. They have their standard veneer series, which is literally just a graphical rebadge. So you've got the EQ pack, you can make, you know, Logic's channel EQ or whatever it is, look like a, you know, a Pultec or a Neve or an API or a Manly or whatever it is. They've got various selections in the menu. Amazing. And then there's the compressor pack, you know, Cubase's standard compressor can look like a Fairchild or 1176 or LA2A or a an SSL or all these different types mm -hmm. and obviously they're going to keep adding new models in future as their graphics designers get on to coding them up Incredible Do you have any sneak peeks of what might be coming? Well I think they may be coming out with the reverb pack in the not too distant future Okay Like a Quantec room simulator and a 480L and things like that so that you can take your standard convolution processor and make it look like it's the old lexicon box And looking like it is is three quarters of the battle I would mm. invest 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 That's their entry level thing I mean Further up the product range, they have their more advanced analog experience series. Oh, yes. And with these ones, it takes you more into the analog world in that it restricts the control ranges in the same way that it is on the original gear. Okay. And it only lets you have two plugins per graphical user interface at any one time. That real stripped down feel. 
depending on what pack you get, I mean, if you get the vintage pack, then the, the plugins inexplicably go offline <laughs> maybe three to five days every year. And then you need to pay uh, between $100 and $3,500. It's like randomly selected to bring them back online. Incredible. incredible. So that real analog kit experience there. Yeah. They've gone that extra mile. That, is, that sounds remarkable. Yeah, so um, many thanks to Yesterday Software for, for supporting us. Check out their website. Please, please do. Bustvintage.com. <laughs> and if you'd like to give us your feedback, ask us questions, um, share your face palms with us. Email us at tbreak at projectstudiotbreak.com and the website is www.projectstudiotbreak.com. Uh, pop over to iTunes if you have a moment and rate and review our show on iTunes, especially for a slightly more niche area podcast like this one. That is no end of helpful. It you know tweaks the algorithm. It probably does something with machine learning and it helps more people find our driveling nonsense. Except it actually works. It actually works. <laughs> So please pop over to iTunes, yeah. rate and review the show. Uh, you can tweet at us on Twitter at Twitter. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> Nearly there. Style it out. Style it out. There we go. We're good. We're good. You can tweet at us on Twitter at twitter.com slash PSTBtweets. And you can Facebook us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PSTBbooks. So please do get in touch. It's always lovely to hear from you. And if you would like even more nonsense in your podcast feed, then do head over to our Patreon campaign. There is now more than three hours of extra bonus content there available, including the Audio World Synthwatch review. <laughs> and this month's extras, there's more on key changes. We have our primer on Cockney rhyming slang. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> and a bonus Q&A. What do you say into the mic at Soundcheck? You might not credit this from just having heard his voice, but Mike has an encyclopedic knowledge of Cockney rhyming slang. <laughs> you know, far more than anyone in 2019 needs to know, but he does know it and he is kind enough to share that knowledge. Well, I suppose you better knock it on the head. I've got um, an important risotto to cook. <laughs> and I have some vital washing up to attend to. So thank you so very much for listening. See you next month. See you next month.